Thank you for listening to the following films podcast. Today I'm joined by musician Ash Gordon. I had her on the show to talk about her debut double album, Ash Gordon and Ash Gordon 2, which will be available on July 15th. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Hey, Ash, how are you today? Hi, how's it going? Good, good. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. I really appreciate it. Oh, of course. Oh, my God. There's a cat stuck in the room and he's <laughs> going to meow the whole time. So give me one second. Yeah, sure. Artie, come on, man. Snuck in here. <laughs> he just snuck his way in here. My God. <laughs> it, it's always the case. And it's been that way for the last two and a half years now. So it's pretty much normal trying to do these things with the pets. So it's totally fine. Do you have pets? I do. Well, I have uh, two dogs. I have, well, three dogs. Um, we have a 10 pound dog, a 20 pound dog and a 60 pound dog. So we have a, a little bit of everything. We had a cat. Um, that's the one thing that's missing at this point. So I guess we need to get on that eventually. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, that's, there's nothing like having animals around though. I couldn't have gotten through the pandemic without my cats. <laughs> how, how have you been through the pandemic? Is this project, is this something that was inspired by the pandemic with the time that you had to start? working on the songwriting and it's pretty prolific. There's quite a bit that you put into this project. So was it just a time thing or is this something you had on your mind for a while? So I've had it on my mind, but I, I think the, the real push for me was I really wanted to get more involved in the production of songs and building beats and just really get my hands dirty. And over the past 10 years of writing professionally, I've been kind of like, um, deemed as a top line writer, meaning lyrics and melody. So a producer would come to me with a pre-made track and then I would write a top line to then give to an artist. And so I kind of had lost my production shops, if that makes sense. Sure. And I really wanted to like get my hands dirty again and dig in. So um, I learned Ableton over the pandemic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had already known Pro Tools because I'd record a lot of vocals, but I really wanted to learn something that was just strictly this is for like warping beats and like changing sounds and stuff. So learned a little bit of that. Um, and I just started making these beats and these, and these songs organically too, like with guitar as well. And I was just like, this is something I need to do. It just, it felt right. And then I got engaged and I was like, well, <laughs> congratulations. Thank you. Th we're, we're married now. Like it's oh, all just <laughs> happened. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and so I'd gotten engaged and I was like, I had already known, like, if it ever happened, I would want to change my last name. And so, wow, from Ashley Levy, we're going to Ashley Gordon. What does that sound like? Oh, Flash Gordon? Ash oh, Gordon? see, I, I think Kim Gordon, but I guess that's like the, I'm 46. <laughs> I'm kind of like the Sonic Youth thing. So yeah, it's Kim Gordon is where I go with that. So yeah, not, not Flash well, Gordon. That's the Gordon name is, knows no it's bounds. Good, and it's I a good really name. Appreciate that. <laughs> it's a good name. Yeah. So um, I was like, you know what, let me just make the music that I wish there were more of in the world. And so that's kind of how it all really started. That's, that's really interesting. And so how did you, did you start out as a songwriter then? And then you just found yourself doing that top line work or how did you end up down that path and then finding your way back to it again? Well, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So I had been writing songs like since I learned to play guitar at like 14, like full. And I didn't even want to be like Eddie Van Halen. I didn't want to be a shredder. It's like, I just want to learn chords. So I know how to like get my ideas out there. So um, 
I've always been writing songs fully, but my taste in music has always been kind of like not necessarily what the mainstream wanted or needed at that mm-hmm. point. I'm really into like offbeat stuff. Like the B-52s are my favorite band of all time. Um, I could see that. That comes through yeah. for sure. <laughs> Good. That's wonderful. That's great. That's the best news I've heard today. Um, <laughs> but so, yeah, it was, it was a matter of like, okay, like I'm always going to love this left of center music. I'm always going to make it. But I love all music. I love pop music. I love industrial goth music. I love, I listen to everything. So in terms of my writing chops, I really could fit anywhere in terms of top line, not necessarily songwriting though, because writing a B-52 style song is very different than writing, you know, a, um, uh, a passion pit song or something yeah, like that. For sure. Know? Yeah. However, if somebody else made the beat, I was certainly able to like make a top line that could compete. So that's kind of like where I just fell into was, oh, she can write any top line. Let's just get Ashley on. So, um, but yeah, it was really a breath of fresh air learning Ableton and getting to just get my hands dirty again. It's, and I'm actually working on something now that it's like, I haven't really been able to like dig in for three months because marriage, honeymoon, drag the musical. Um, and now finally today it's like, oh, I can like do something cool in Ableton, you know? So So, then do you start with the guitar then? Is that where the songs come from? Are you starting from that rhythm? Cause there's almost something, um, if you're playing with an acoustic, I, I tend to think of it almost as a percussive instrument where it is mm-hmm. a string instrument clearly, but there's a percussion element to it when you're playing it, where you can find that rhythm and that beat in it. And I think you can, it, to me, when I'm, I, I don't write songs, I'm not a songwriter. I mess around on guitar a little bit, but I always find myself going back to the acoustic because I feel like it's a really foundational and it has a much fuller sound than you get from any other instrument. So it can feel pretty naked sometimes. Right, right. And I mean, to me, a great song, like if you could play a song on acoustic guitar and voice or piano and voice, and it's great, then that means it's only going to get better, like adding the production. So I'm with you, like I'm a big believer in starting bare bones, but you still have to feel it. And I'm with, I love the resonance of a guitar. It just feels right. I grew up like listening to punk bands and I actually was in like an L7 type band for a while in college. So yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so the, the guitar will always just be my starter instrument, but usually when I have an idea for it's changed as I've like evolved as a songwriter. So like in the beginning it used to be, Oh, I have an idea for a guitar riff and then it evolves into something. Now it's like, I think of, it was a weird thing actually. So I have a song coming out with Alaska Thunderfuck called yeah. everyone is a little bit gay. And that, but that song is hilarious. It's fantastic. I, I actually, like oh my God, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, and as like a cis straight dude, that's married with kids. Like that song is fucking fantastic. It's so much fun. Like I, I it's uh, undeniable to me. If you hear that song and you listen to the words and you're and you're not smiling just a little bit, then what happened to your soul? Honestly, what happened? That's exactly right. And look, I come from a place that can be kind of like ridden with homophobes. I'm from Long Island, New York. And okay. Yeah, it's true. Like, yeah I am from Northeast New Jersey. So yes, I'm very, very familiar. Yes. You understand the type. So uh, I grew up around a lot of that. And I was just, I actually went to a drag show and it, there was this drag queen that was just kind of like, a drag queen knows when the girlfriend drags the boyfriend mm-hmm. along or the husband or something. So I saw her lip syncing to the song. I don't even remember what it was. And he was like clearly uncomfortable. <laughs> and I just, it popped in my head. Like everyone is a little bit gay. 
Like that's the song I would want to hear this drag queen, like lap dancing to the straight man with. And, (laughs) and I literally had to like leave and go to the bathroom. And like, it just came out. I was like, everyone is a little bit gay, a little bit gay. And like the production was in my head and everything. So it was like done in a drag club, if that makes sense. Well, no, I mean, if you had to say, if I had to guess, where that song could have possibly been written. I'm not sure how many guesses it would have taken me to get there, but if we were playing 20 questions, I would have landed on that eventually. So yeah, I think it wouldn't have taken the full 20 to get there. It just makes sense. And I, right. I mean, anybody that has a sense of humor and is a little bit honest with themselves will get the song. And it's not, it's, it's not anything that's, uh, it's, I don't think it's supposed to be a political song. It's just fun. And it's just, it's, we need more of that. You know, there, you talk about the B-52s and their music yeah. was fun. It was silly. It was, it had a huge heart. And it, it, I, the other place I lived, I was actually born in a town that was about 40 miles from Athens, Georgia. So the B-52s mm-hmm. were a really big band for me when I was a kid. And I think that that, right. despite that upbringing, seeing the, those people and seeing the people that would go to those shows and being around that environment really kind of before I knew what the names of these things were, I didn't really give a shit about gay, straight, non-binary or any of that. Just, it right. just was, it was just, we were just all the weirdos. That was the common denominator. None of those other things mattered. It was just, we don't get what that other thing is that everyone seems to be attracted to. So we're just going to take all the misfits, the, you know, the Island of lost misfit toys or whatever that is. And that was, those were my people. And I feel like everybody has that to some degree. Oh, totally. I mean, if you are attracted to anything left of center or something considered like novelty, like a lot of times like the B-52s or Devo, like these bands could be written off as like novelty bands. But if you really like listen to their catalog, it's like, oh, no, they had a very clear vision. They were having fun the entire time and they have a very loyal fan base for a reason. And yeah, I'm with you. Like we're just like the Misfit Toys listening to our Misfit Toys music and I feel like that really hasn't existed in a long time. Um, So whether it's deemed as novelty or not, like me personally, I just want to make music that like people have fun singing. Um, And no, to answer your question or your statement was I was not trying to be political at all, but it just so happened a week later, the don't say gay bill came out. Yeah. Um, Like a week after we literally recorded it. And so actually I went back, I was like, how many more times can we fit gay in? (laughs) <laughs> like how many more? And we landed on 56 times. So Is that it? <laughs> just 56. Yeah. Just real, a very a casual number. That's fantastic. I, and yeah. And I guess that's the disconnect that I have, like with a bill like that, something that's so fucking absurd that I, I, it just doesn't even make sense. Like that's, that's so beyond a, that that's not even left or right to me. That's just anti-human. How can you feel right. that way about kids, you know, little, little kids that are trying to figure shit out or that are trying to talk about their parents or whatever that is. I mean, I, I'm a bleeding heart for sure, but that, and I know that, you know, political differences with people, whatever, but that, I, I, I don't know I, how you can have that much disdain for your fellow humans. I, I don't get it. I, I don't get it at all. You know, everybody's the lead character in their own story. And uh, some people are a little more cognizant of it than others. But the ones that truly believe in their story and grew up with the narrative of like being gay is wrong or whatever is wrong. It's hard because like you would you would hope people would become more enlightened as time goes on. But like 
you're on the East Coast. You grew up in a in a pretty, you know, um, surrounded by like you had access to liberal people. Yeah. I had access to liberal people living in New York and then now in L.A. But the people that are stuck in towns that like there's nobody gay here. It's like yeah. it, I have to recalibrate my mind sometimes and have like a little bit of sympathy until they say stupid shit. And then I'm like, oh, no, 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 you can you can go back to where you came from. I can't. I can't can we find an island for you somewhere like I don't know I I, yeah there's a point that that gets to but I've I've lived in very red places I actually live in Arizona now and so I've lived I've lived in red places most of my life and even though even the reddest of red states you know you see when you look at the numbers at the end there's 30 percent that voted for the other guy you know there's Mm -hmm. 30 percent that were there I spent a summer in um Eureka Springs, Arkansas doing opera. And it was this little town in the middle of Arkansas in you know Eureka Springs. And there was an opera house there that they could support in that town. So when you went into the local bars, there were pride flags. And this is in the late nineties, I guess it wasn't something you would normally see in a town that size. So I, wow, I, 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 you know, it's, it's this, this other than I think that people create, it's like, mm. it's, it's this separation where they'll say, no, I never, I don't, all those people are horrible. Well, Timmy moved down the street and his husband and they made the neighborhood nicer. So Timmy and Steve aren't like the rest of them. The rest of them are assholes. And it's just like, you kind of have to yeah, introduce enough of it to the point where like, okay, maybe I'm off. And I, you, right. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going off, but there was this idea you talked okay. about where we're all the star of our own you know, narrative. And it, at some point, don't you question yourself? I, at least I do where I know that I'm full of shit a lot of the time. Like I question my narrative all the time. I'm maybe I'm just not a great storyteller or whatever that is, but I feel like I need to rejigger and reanalyze what my actual story is constantly. And I think mm-hmm. that's fairly normal. Are you just, I, I don't know why people don't do that more often. And it's not exposure because yeah. you you've known some gay people at this point in your life. I, I'm my patience is getting pretty thin for, for that. Yeah whether you know it or not, you've known some gay people, <laughs> like, yes. especially in areas like that. It's, it's true. And, you know, I feel like that's, that's real growth. You know, I feel like as, as an adult human, it's very healthy to then realize, okay, I was the character, main character in my life for so long, but now it's like, what can I do to be even a better person and contribute so that I realize it's just a higher way of thinking, I think. Yeah. And we're like, I certainly, you know, I'm always working on it. Um, but yeah, just, just have sympathy. It's not that hard. It's really not that hard to access the feelings of, oh, that is a fellow human. Like, what can I do to like help understand this person a little more? And I think what really happens is like people lose curiosity. Um, like whenever someone has a stance on something, unless they're being a total asshole and saying like the most awful things I've ever heard, I ask them, I'm like, so like, can you tell me more about that? Like, what can you tell me? Like, what was your experience in like coming to that conclusion? Because if we're all just attacking each other all the time, like nothing's going to change because we're, I'm not going to change your mind. You're not going to change my mind. Like we're going to be sitting here trying to convince each other of things till our faces are blue. So it's like, I don't know. And I think that really comes from empathy. Like the idea to like question, you know? Yeah. And there's, I, I honestly, and I don't want to be 
rude to somebody who's on the other side of it, but curiosity to me is one of the great markers of intelligence. If you're asking Mm -hmm. questions, that shows that you have an intelligence. You're actually questioning the world around you. You're questioning yourself. You're not dogmatic in everything that you believe. Uh, There's gray in your thought processes and you recognize that you've not always been right and that other people have not always been right and not maybe everything you've been told that you need to question it every once in a while. So right. to, to me, that I'm not trying to say that somebody is necessarily lesser than because of a belief, but you know, if, you, if you're never questioning it, that's probably not a good place to be. See, look at this. Right. this is, look, look at what a silly song like that can inspire. And, th- and that's yeah. the other side of it. It's like, this is a silly, fun, light song. And it's not political in itself, but everything around it is. And I think that that's one of the ways you can really handle this type of material is just by making it fun and making it silly. And yeah, make, make it, it fun more. and make it easy to sing to. Like, yes. that's another thing. Like Make it like very earwormy. Like, that's where, you know, I live for like finding the perfect earworm. That's like my personal joy. Um, so I'm really glad that it hit you that way. That's that that's exactly what I wanted. From a straight heterosexual male, <laughs> cisgender male, like oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. Well, can you also talk a little bit about um, cosmic colors? Because the guitar riff in that, I really, really like that. That's a that's a really good um, stripped down, very basic song, but it has a great hook to it, and I really do like the guitar riff in it quite a bit. It's a fun song, also, but I think that that's a more dynamic song in a lot of ways. Sure. Yeah, definitely. It's more musical for yeah, sure. It's not like go. the same chords over and over. Like these are two very different style songs and I'll explain why in a minute, but like for cosmic colors, I am a guitar. That's I'm always searching for the perfect earworm melody. And I put like guitar riffs under that because there is nothing more satisfying and scratches my brain itch than like the perfect distortion on a perfect guitar on the perfect melody line. Mm-hmm. So I I'm always like chasing that as well. And that's something Trixie is always chasing. And what's crazy is um, Trixie was a fan of my band. I have always been like a RuPaul's Drag Race fan, like since season one. Yeah. And I was a big time Trixie fan. And I was like, ah, I don't know if we'll ever work together. Cause she had put out like these folk albums that were great and wonderful. And I, I liked them a lot, but I never thought like, ah, she's not going to want to like write with me. I write like garage stuff. Like, but then we we actually ended up meeting in a very organic way. And we it turned out we had the same music brain for like early 2000s rock music. And she was a fan of my band, the Blah Blah Blahs at the time, um, which is very like 60s mod, yeah. um, even in the production. Um, so that was crazy. Like Trixie was a fan of me and I was a fan of her. And I was like, wow. Um, so I was kind of in between the phase of like, am I going to do Ash Gordon? Do I want to continue with the blah, blah, blahs, which I am, they'll always be a part of my life. But basically I I wrote this song and I was like, it sounds like a duet. It sounds like a duet. I need like a lower vocal and then a higher vocal. Like, I love that song. um, I forget the name of it, but it's like Peter, Paul, Bjorn and something speaking of like early 2000s indie stuff that was uh god that song was everywhere what the, um yeah it's peter and bjorn i i can't remember I, I always forget but it's like such a great earworm but the thing about that i love the most about it is that it's a male the whistle is the thing that catches you in that sorry yes 
Yeah. And so I always wanted to like make a song like that. And I, I thought I had like accomplished something similar, but still in the world of like 60s psychedelic, but we modernized it a little bit. And so I sent, I wrote it and I sent it to Trixie and I said, would you be down to help me finish this song? And she's like, absolutely. This is it. I've been waiting for this forever. Um, and so, yeah, that's how the, the song happened. But the guitar riff for sure that was born here in, in this studio. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it was the thing that made me the most happy about the song. It probably, I, it's kind of like a fever dream how it all happened, but it must've started with the, the guitar riff, like just thinking back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it always does. Right. Like, cause even uh, Trixie has uh, a double album coming out next week that I wrote seven songs on. Oh, wow. Um, and she would like give me like a chorus and send it to me and she'd be like, I know something's here. Can you help me finish it? Same thing I did with her. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would finish it together and add those very important guitar hooks. So yeah, we are very like-minded Trixie and I, in terms of like the, what are the important elements of a song of that genre for sure. And those, like you were touching on before show very polar, almost opposite sides of songwriting styles where one feels very much like a club song and the other feels like a couple kids in a garage putting something together that, like yeah. you said, it could, it could have been 13th floor elevators in Austin, Texas in the sixties, or it could have been something mm-hmm. in the early two thousands. It's kind of, it's very timeless in that way. Um, where Thank you. And so, but could you talk about those two different sides of the songwriting and being well, on the same record? I think, so it's going to be a double album, what I'm mm-hmm. releasing in July. And so um, one album is very much garage rock. My take on like what I would like to hear garage rock be now with like modern production elements. Mm-hmm. And then the second album, Ash Gordon two is going to be more like indie dance type stuff because those two genres are the things that make me happy. Um, and I just wanted to present like the music that I want more in the world are like these two genres. And I feel like we haven't really like heard enough of it. So, yeah, I, I like to think I'm kind of like doing a service for like the indie world for just like putting this stuff out there. But um, and hopefully people connect with it. I mean, if I love it, I hope other people love it. But, I, I, um, they will. They will. For sure. Because <laughs> no, I, I think that the thing that people connect with, I don't know that's necessarily um, the style of music. It's I think there's something in art that we find um, when it's not cynical, when you can hear someone's heart being you know vulnerable and when it's made from passion when it's made and it's a reflection of where you were at that moment in time something you felt so purely and it doesn't feel like okay i need to put this here to get this to get to this and then people will like this and they will buy it and we're checking all these boxes and then we can put it here and that remind and there's great songwriters that do that but then you end up in a manufactured pop sound which has no soul right Um, in the same way there's manufactured punk rock that has no soul to me. There's manufactured metal, there's manufactured dance music. There's all that. It just doesn't, I think that really the stuff that stands the test of time that people really connect with and you look through anybody's record collection, really it's all over the place. We're all like that. Very few people are just one thing. And so I think that's what the secret sauce is to me. That's what that, at least I know that's what works. If I, if something just doesn't feel right, it can be they're playing the same chords, but it just doesn't feel I'm not connecting to it. I think that's what's going on, that it just, I, you can hear honesty. Does that make sense? 
I love it. I love that. That's how you feel about my music. Like that's, that's well, yeah. I think what every artist wants to hear. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, but it's funny because you will not find, there is one love song, but you will only find one love song in the double album and that's 16 songs. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think I like love songs, but there are so many of them. It's like, all right, girl, we've already like heard everything pretty much about that. So like for me, like it was really important for me to like be honest. And like, sometimes I could be a little bit like catty. So I have, um, I have a song called, I want to be a DJ on Ashford yeah. and one. And it's all about these, um, these LA girls who are wearing the Metallica shirt, but have never seen, they don't know Metallica <laughs> and they're, they just learned how to DJ and they're just like spinning, like what people want to hear as opposed to like what they want people to hear. And it just frustrates me so much. And I, I came to the conclusion, uh, I'm a music snob. Like after I wrote that song, I was like, well, I might as well be in that John Cusack movie where he has like top High fidelity. Fives. Yeah. Yeah. High fit in the book. Like mm-hmm. I, I think I, I have, I've deeply identified with John Cusack in that movie on that level. <laughs> Cause don't do that, man. <laughs> there is a time and a place and look, it's fine. Like hot girls are going to be DJing forever, but like I had to like say something about it <laughs> and, and the frustration behind it for people like you and I, like, like music files that are like, okay, we need to um, reassess the situation. Well- and maybe go to a vinyl night instead just to cleanse our palate, you know? Yes, 100 I'm a little snobby, and I have to be honest with myself about it. And the thing is, I think that if I'm being very honest with myself about that, it's because people have a different relationship with music than I do. And that everyone that I surround, they have a different relationship with art than I do, than my friends mm-hmm. do. The people that I, I have a tough time understanding people who don't love some form of art, who don't have some form of creativity in their life. It's, there's a disconnect there. Um, yeah. And so, so much of my identity for so many years of my life was tied up in the music that I listened to and the music that I played. And it was the way that I dressed. It was my uniform. It was the people that I hung out with. It was, I was put, yeah. putting up a flag into the world. And a lot of that was built around music. Most people don't do that. It's we're no. again, it's, we were, people that are looking for a tribe. We're trying to find our like-minded people. And that's kind of how you would do that. Um, so I get that part of it, but yeah, it drives me nuts when I see somebody wearing the MC five shirt and they have no idea what kick out the jams is and something like that. And you're like, come on, really? It's just, you bought your faded shirt and okay, got it. It's just, you're on that different place where you're to me, you're putting something in the world and I guess it's not there. So yeah, it's like, look, Urban Outfitters like serves a lifestyle. Yeah, I prefer anthropology. Okay, but like some people like the Urban Outfitters lifestyle. Um, we lean towards the, you know, especially I feel like in our youth when you identify with a certain type of dress and stuff like that, or even now, I feel like I could be in the B fifty twos right now. But uh, yeah, it's like you 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 claim your stake in whatever you're in whatever music you're listening to. And I'll never understand it either. I have an uncle who just listens to talk radio. He does not listen to music and I will never understand it. I will never, I'm like, how are we even related? (laughs) Um, But this is, you know, he's a, he's a great guy and this is just how some people operate. Um, But I I won't get, and I also won't stand for pretending about it, which is what I want to be a DJ is about. You know what I mean? 
pretending to like be about the music life, but really you're just spinning top 40, honey. Like it's not, you're not taste making in any way <laughs> or, or thinking about how songs should go into one another. Honestly, I'm glad I never learned how to DJ because it would consume, I might be a good DJ, but it would be all encompassing. Today's episode of the following films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. So after this conversation, I went into Bookman's in search of something with a little bit of social commentary. But whenever I'm looking for something a little bit headier like that, I tend to gear or tend to lean more towards satire. Something uh, with a tongue firmly implanted in its cheek makes the medicine go down a little bit easier. And so when I was walking around in the fiction section, I came across a confederacy of dunces. And it's a great novel. Um, If you haven't read it, it's by John Kennedy Toole and I believe it was published in 1980 and this was 11 years after Tool's suicide. Uh, When the book was first released it was a cult classic and then it gained mainstream success and eventually it earned Tool a posthumous Pulitzer Prize for fiction in 1981 and is now considered canonical work of modern literature of the southern United States. Other novels on that list include The Color Purple, To Kill a Mockingbird, Tobacco Road, and Up With Slavery. So it's definitely amongst the great novels. Uh, The title refers to an epigram from John Swift's essay, Thoughts on Various Subjects, Moral and Diverting. It goes like this. When a true genius appears in the world, you may know him by this sign, that the dunces are all in confederacy against him. The book's protagonist, uh, Ignatius J. Riley, is an educated but lazy 30-year-old man living with his mother in the uptown neighborhood of the early 1960s New Orleans, who in his quest for employment has various adventures with uh, the colorful French Quarter characters. Uh, Our protagonist is overweight, unemployed, 30-year-old with a degree in medieval history. And as I mentioned, he lives with his mother. And so he spends his entire existence in utter loathing of the world around him. He's pretty much the embodiment of Twitter. If it was personified, if that cesspool was turned into a human, it would be Ignatius Riley. He has that much contempt for the world. Um, And the thing about this novel is that it's not only a commentary of the South and these characters at this time, but really it's a a commentary on the world we live in today. And I think that's why this is considered a classic, why people continue to revisit this novel year after year, and it's only gained in popularity. If you haven't read it, definitely seek it out. In fact, when I was in Bookman's, they had several copies of it. So if you want to go down to Bookman's, there's a good chance that they will have a copy of A Confederacy of Dunces there for you. Because remember, Bookman's, they have your cool covered. And I feel like I do that anyway. Like whenever I'm like just listening to music or or cooking or cleaning, like I'm always trying to listen out for something new. Like, do you listen to um, Little Steven's Underground Garage on Sirius Satellite Radio? See, now I'm a, I'm a fan of Little Steven and it's on, Is I'm assuming it's on the, the Bruce Springsteen channel there or which channel is it on? Underground Garage is the channel. Is it really? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Now it's how, his channel. It's a little Steven's underground garage. Like, Oh, that's his whole, I didn't know. realize that I have listened to it. Then I didn't realize that was his channel. Okay, cool. Yeah, it is. Um, It's wonderful. And it, it was even better like back like 10 years ago, but 
it just makes me so happy to like listen to new music. But I feel like that's what Spotify is doing now, right? It's like similar artists, you know, you go down playlists and it's like, oh, who's this artist? Like, da 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 da. So I feel like but, you and I both have like DJ mentality. <laughs> but but you need to like, it's almost that algorithm is too good in a way where it mm. needs to it needs to throw a, a wrench into it every once in a while. Because yes. it, if you're just old, you happen to click on something that you liked that day. Like um, I hadn't listened to bad religions suffer since I was a kid. And I just put that on. And then everything that it was playing after that was that thing. And it was just that one moment in time. That's what I wanted to listen to that whole album. But really mm-hmm. if I, if I'm making a mixtape, which would be the high fidelity version of that DJing, cause I can't beat match for shit. So it's never going to happen, but I'm mm-hmm. building a story. I'm telling a narrative. It's not going to be one song that sounds good next to the other song because it's almost the exact same song it's going to be building to something you're going to take a break for a minute you're going to let everybody go to the bar and chill out but then you're going to call them back to the dance floor for a second you don't to me that's how i would do it that's why i'm a Mm. shitty dj because it would be way too all (laughs) over the map it would make sense to me but to nobody else yeah sure but but you're a mixtape person then so do you still make your wife mixtapes so what we do, yes, yes, we do. Um, but, it, it, but well, but it's the new version of that. So it's, we basically, we trade back and forth with making um, playlists on Amazon music. So that's the modern equivalent of that. Um, mm-hmm. Because I really, at this point, I could burn a CD, but I don't even know where she would play it at this point. We have, um, we have record players we have a cd player we have a tape deck but i'm the only one in the house that uses them if it's not hooked up to the sonos right. i don't think she knows how to use it at this point that's fair no a playlist it, it's just as well and you get to see the album art and all that stuff but um yeah i miss the cd burning days i really do um, i don't care if i'm dating myself like that was so much fun to just like there was so much labor that went into it as opposed to like click and drag you know like you really oh. had to like want to give this person this music I, yeah, there was, uh, okay, embarrassing truth that I don't think I've ever said out loud before, where occasionally when I was making mixtapes for people, I would, like I was writing on an, an episode of Lost or something, I would put messages in the song tracks. So it would be the, uh, spelling out words by the third no letter. I, yeah, yeah, by the third letter in the song. So it wouldn't be the first letter so you could see it, but I would write it so that if you looked at it in the right way, you would see everything going straight down. It would be the message of what I was trying to convey to the person. That is like some next level. No, that's like that's <laughs> borderline insanity. Is what that is. That's like creepy ass shit. That's just, I mean, that's, I didn't have Netflix. I didn't have all those right. time sucks that we have now. I would just spend it way too many hours late at night just thinking about music and thinking about art and thinking about my emotions, I guess. So, yeah. But I, I do you make them for your spouse at this point? Do you make mixtapes, dollar CDs? Well, it's interesting. So, we, so uh, Grant, my husband, comes from a very jazz-centric background. Oh. So when when he was growing up, I mean, his dad was a master on saxophone, like his uncle, like plays trombone in Broadway, like really musical family. And in his house, they only listened to jazz. So there are some songs that like happen when we're just out and about, like even at the grocery store, the music they play and he'll be like, huh, I've never heard this song. Or I'll start singing something like, oh, you know this song, like mbop or something. And he's like, oh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know this one. So he, he missed a lot. So oftentimes I'm kind of like getting him up to speed with it, but certainly in the beginning, I made a playlist for him. Like when we had just started dating because he knew he didn't know a lot of the music 
I knew. And I also didn't know a lot of the music that he knew. So we did like do some trades in the beginning, but now I'm just, you know, cranking skinny puppy when I'm cooking and he's like, Oh, <laughs> like he's getting it anyway. You know what I mean? Oh, Scott, I haven't thought about skinny puppy or umbop in so long, but skinny puppy, that was one of my favorite shows I went to in high school. It was amazing. Oh. I, I, I can't, remember the album but he got up on stage and there was this like tree behind them and he put his head inside this goggle set and it projected his <laughs> eyes onto the screen behind him and it was had so it was at, a, at the trocadero in philadelphia and such a great show I, I miss those those days those shows so yeah well look you could go to the goth club i guarantee you that i mean i didn't I, even know i only went to a goth club twice in my life uh, the second time was on a date out here in LA and it was skinny puppy night. And I was like, well, this is, they had a whole cool. night. <laughs> they had a whole skinny puppy night. I'm like, I should have been going to goth clubs like this entire time. Like what, where have I been? Um, I would be dressed like this. So, you know, a little odd man out, but like my brain would be goth that night, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's the, uh, that's who I was. And I still am at that point that I would be at the goth show. I'd go to see front two, four, two or whoever it was, the industrial band that I was really into that week. And I would be dressed like a skateboarder, I guess. And that was enough yeah. to get by without being called out, but it felt so artificial to like, you know, paint up in black fingernails and all that. I have never had a problem with it. Don't care. That's your thing. Get yeah. after it. But it, I like colors a little bit more than that. You know, yeah. I, I, I need, I need like looking at right there, like Navy and orange. Come on. How, how could you go without that in your life? It just, I mean, orange is my favorite color and I feel like it's just, I don't know. I've never been a fan of like wearing all black and I'm not saying like you have to do any of this or whatever, like to be in the goth scene. But certainly when I was there, I, I did it. He was like, we're going to the goth club. So I did adhere to like a certain aesthetic just to like, blend in not necessarily to like be goth right because then it's mm -hmm. you're just dressing up like halloween but um you know it's it's interesting it's interesting having to like float around different scenes like that like especially chris with you like you have such eclectic taste in music like how did you navigate like floating around all these different like i don't know when you would go to shows like how how was that for you would you dress differently every time or were you like just skater? No, was, yeah just like skater kid you know it was just um, skateboard t-shirts and shorts and a pair of kicks. That was it. I mean, if I was going, if it was the winter, it would just be a pair of Doc Martens and blue jeans and a t-shirt. That would be it. But yeah, as far as I never felt the need to change my aesthetic for that sense, but the, mm -hmm. I was also living in the suburbs. So I didn't, this right. weren't as intense there. It was, it wasn't something like the equivalent when we would go up to Philadelphia or down to DC or up to New York for shows. Um, because I lived in Delaware when I was in high school. So the, mm -hmm. the kids that were there, it was just you, the 10 people that you would find that were the into that shit. It was just, you found each other by, and you would go to the record store and drive, you know, two and a half hours because you heard that there was this place in Lancaster that had, you know, good, a good selection. And so you would go up there looking for weird import CDs and stuff like that. And it was just, I, I, that, that was my family. So it, we were very accepting. I don't remember being we wouldn't like judge somebody because the way they dressed or something necessarily in that sense, it was, yeah. And kind of like you showing up in that outfit at the goth night, that's the person that I would want to talk to. Who's the kid <laughs> that, that showed up at the punk rock show, not with Liberty spikes, but that showed up with a blazer 
Who's that right. dude that really doesn't give a shit? We all say we don't give a shit, but that person really doesn't. Like, that's the person I wanted to talk to. That's fair. And I think maybe, like, I think there are two things happening. I think in contrast, I did give maybe more of a shit when I was younger, especially. <laughs> yeah, now it's true. like, I don't care. Now it's like, whatever. But I also have a lot of fun with dress up because I'm, I'm, you know, like if you saw the blah, blah, blahs at all, you would yeah. see I was a drag queen for the blah, yeah. blah, blahs. I really enjoy an aesthetic and putting a look together. Um, but I think also that what you're talking about is like, as a woman, it's different. That's what I'm going to say. When you walk into a scene as a woman, there is more like, oh, but what are you wearing? Not who are you wearing necessarily, but like, what are you wearing? How are you carrying yourself? Like I was raised by a beautician. So there was always like, she was never like unhealthy about it. Thank God. But like, there was always this awareness of like, you're presenting yourself to the world and where you go, you're like you're presenting yourself a certain way. And that says a lot about who you are. And oftentimes is will dictate who wants to talk to you and all these things. And I think as a woman, it's a little more like hard pressed in our minds, like that, that's the reality. But um, I feel like as, as you get, especially like in middle school, high school, like we're all just feeling it out. Right. Like we don't oh, know for who we sure are all this. So as you like grow into adulthood, like I have a couple of friends that are like turning 30 soon and they're like, oh, I'm so scared of turning 30. And I'm like, honey, it's going to be the best thing that ever happened to you because the the more the years go on, the more you know who you are and you're unabashedly uncomfortable, like being yourself, whatever that means, whatever you wear, whatever you say, like, it's just the older you get, the less you give a shit. (laughs) And it's, it's the true gift, gift of getting older. And I wish somebody had told me that when I was in high school. You wouldn't have heard I it. Was you you, you wouldn't life. have heard it. There's no, you can't hear that in high no. school. That That's very, <laughs> that's sound advice to give to anybody, but you, you can't, you, you have to try on all those different affectations as a form of identity at that age. Cause you don't know who you are. You're trying to figure it out. So you're grasping on to all these different things. You're like, okay, I read Bukowski this weekend. That's who I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm a kid. <laughs> yeah. It's like a middle class kid from the suburbs reading Bukowski. And yeah, that's who I identify with. It's like alcoholic that's um, going to the track and destroying his life. That that's me. No, I mean, we want to see ourselves that way, <laughs> right, right, but right. like, yeah, it's, it's, you have these heroes in your mind and these things you want to hold it up to. And that that's important, but I, and I know we're almost out of time here, but I just wanted to say this album's so good. This double album is so much fun and it makes sense because it was made by someone who is a lot of fun and easy to talk to. And yeah, I, I think that people are going to really connect with this and I wish you nothing but the best of luck with it. Thank you, Chris. I mean, you know, that makes me so happy. Oh my God. I hope everybody enjoys it and gets a little bit of a laugh out of it. And, you know, can hear a, a snobby bitch once in a while and be like, okay, I could still hang with her. Like, that's fine. We can Any, drink together and that's cool. <laughs> anybody that's hate watching uh, Jennifer Lopez's halftime documentary on Netflix right now can absolutely get a kick out of this. Because if you're ca- if you're watching <laughs> yeah. that and being catty and talking shit, you can absolutely listen to this album and have fun with it. Just connect with that part of your brain. <laughs> and if you like good music, too. Yeah. can see us swimming in a sea of stars Surfing on a rocket, living life on Mars Catch a supernova